With over 17 callbacks to James Bond movies that we'll take a look at, we're going to decode one of the goofiest spy movies ever made, the 1977 movie, number one of The Secret Service. This is Dan and Tom from SpyMovieNavigator.com and our show, Cracking the Code of Spy Movies. All right, why should we do this goofy movie? That's because, what I asked. <laughs> because it's so ridiculous in the plot, dialogue, gags, music, and more. That is actually entertaining. I started to watch it just to see what the heck this movie was going to be about. And I watched a few minutes and thought, okay, that's about enough. <laughs> and then I watched a few more minutes and then the whole thing. So I thought, hey, that's not so bad. Uh, yeah, I, I thought watching the whole thing was painful. Oh, I mean, this is wow. one of those movies that we normally seem to like the same movies, but I don't think we're on the same page on this one. <laughs> I don't you even know if we're it, in the same book. <laughs> yeah, you say it's entertaining. I say it's dreadful. Wow, dreadful. Painful. I mean, when you suggested this episode, that means when we're going to do one of these, I've got to watch a movie multiple times. Yeah. I didn't even want to watch it once. Oh, my once God. I well, five I, I said in. the first few minutes, I thought, ah, that's enough of this. But then it became entertaining. But, man, dreadful and painful. Holy jeez. All right. Yeah, I, I, I'm never going to get those hours back in my life. <laughs> no, now, no. It's no. also possible because this is definitely a period piece. Yeah, yeah. If I watched this in the 70s when it came out, I might have liked it better. But here in 2022 when I watched it, <laughs> no, thanks. <laughs> I will I will say one nice thing about it. Uh, I thought the music did a great job of setting the time frame of the late 1970s. Oh, yeah. That's actually the one thing I hated. <laughs> you know, we're definitely on opposite sides in this movie. Like, you think it's a guilty pleasure. Way too much of that obnoxious music playing throughout the whole thing. All right, let's get into the movie because... Yeah, it's fantastic. No, okay, all right. It's not fantastic. It's a damn good movie, though. <laughs> all right, in the title credits, they show you scenes from the movie, which oh, I get that for a trailer, but I, I don't really want to see that in this title sequence here. I, I want to see concepts more. Wait, Dan, but we've talked in the past about Mission Impossible, both the TV series and the movies. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. They do that in their title sequences, and we like it there. So what's the difference here? Yeah. What am I missing? Generally, I don't like the pre-titles or titles showing me exact scenes from the movie. Yeah, they, in a sense, whet your appetite for the movie. But in this case here, they basically show you most of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe if they were a little shorter, you would have liked that. Better. Maybe you could just watch the intro, and that'll that, you know you could skip the movie. No, no, no. But no, you like the movie. I do like. I'm the movie. with you there. <laughs> yeah. All right. Here they show a bunch of scenes, and you know already this is a spoof of James Bond, and there are callouts to some of the Ian Productions James Bond movies from 1962 to 1977, maybe 78ish. We'll have to see. So. Now we're lured into wanting to see how many connections or callbacks or homages, if there are any real homages to other spy movies here, especially here to James Bond. I yeah, counted, this is actually, I counted this is, 17. I counted 17. Yeah, and it's, this is actually one of the big challenges of trying to do what we do in our show with spoofs. 
because the spoof is designed to just be callbacks and, oh, we're taking this and twisting it or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It's it, it's also a hard time. It's one of the reasons we haven't done Austin Powers yet because it's taking forever to figure out what all the connections are. Yeah, there's a million. I actually think from that time period, our man Flint and even now the, the Austin Powers series did the spoof thing much better than this one did. <laughs> I mean, you might even argue that the Matt Helm movies with Dean Martin did a better job than this one. Yeah, yeah, okay, I could see that. I mean, this thing's this thing's just ridiculous. Yeah. Well, it is ridiculous, and I think that's the whole point. It's so ridiculous that that's what makes it interesting. <laughs> be the best or be the worst. You know, the, the, the worst thing is that you're in the middle somewhere, and it's like, yeah, you know, who cares? So who wants to be in the middle? Nobody. So here, they weren't on the high end. Like, maybe Austin Powers is better spoof on the high end, or the 67 Casino Royale, maybe. Who knows? But <laughs> they decided they're going to be on the low end here. You know, let's take a quick break, Dan. Well, let's take a quick break, and um, instead of talking about the low end, talk about something that's on the high end. Yeah. Now, we just did a Robert Davi interview, which was thrilling for us. We we love Robert Davi and License to Kill, and he gave us the honor of interviewing him. We spent an hour and a half with Robert. It's terrific. We'd like to give a shout-out. Not only to Robert Davi for doing that, thank you very much, but to some of our listeners who were kind enough to listen to the Robert Davi episode that we have, who played Fran Sanchez, of course, in License to Kill, and they said some great things about it. We'd like to give a a shout-out to Eric Seabury, who said some great things. He said, what a great interview, so many behind-the-scenes stories on License to Kill and Davi's family history I've never heard before. And Matt Sherman, you know, everybody knows Matt Sherman, he said, hey, finished listening to your marvelous interview. Thanks and congratulations. Pietro Rossi, hey, he said, for me, the highlights being the iguana and its relationship with Sanchez and Lupe, the cast, and blah, blah, blah. He said, well worth listening to. He really liked it. And he said, man, it was just kind of like listening to you guys sitting in a room. That was fun. And then Jerry McDonald said, awesome. Love the podcast. It was fantastic. Thanks for sharing. So just want to give a shout out to those guys. Thank you very much for taking a listen, and thank you for spending your time to send us some feedback on that. Anybody yeah, else have feedback? absolutely appreciate it. Let us know. We might give you a shout-out in the next episode. All right, let's get back to the movie now. To start with, <sighs> <laughs> the name of the movie is N.O. period number one of the Secret Service. Not as listed sometimes on Prime and elsewhere as number one, N-U-M-B-E-R, O-N-E of the Secret Service. No, it's N-O period one. The spoof is already active here as the main spy is no one of the Secret Service. As in, hey, this guy's nothing really. But he does a good job here and is good with guns and ladies. So we know what's coming. But I love that they start off with that ridiculous piece. Yeah, okay. So now I missed that one. Ah, I just thought it was a play on the numbered agents. Now you love the movie. From the Bond series. <laughs> uh, I, maybe it should have been called number two instead of number one then. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> this, oh. Sorry. So this movie had some taglines that were direct callbacks to the James Bond movies. In the first one, it says, Zero is never beside his name, and he's a winner in every game. Okay. Or if you think about Bond, it's 007, so yeah. zeros are beside his name. Gotta love that. 
And then, and then there's another tagline they use that said, tell the other guy to move over. I'm number one. Okay. That's got to be an obvious callback to on her Majesty's secret service oh, yeah. where there's, where there's the line where Lazenby said that never happened to the other guy. Yeah. Okay. Hey, you gotta so, love this already, Tom. See? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it should be number two. <laughs> <laughs> we get a lot of clues, almost all of them in the title sequence. <laughs> <laughs> The movie is currently available on Prime, and its description says it includes foul language, alcohol, and sexual content. Okay. Now, normally, I'd love Those that. Those are all good selling points, Tom. <laughs> I mean, it's a total, and it has a total lack of respect for anything good. So, come on. Yeah, that's normally in my wheelhouse, but this one wasn't. Yeah, that now, should be damn good. The interesting thing to me when you say that is that the language, alcohol, and sexual content. Yeah. That tends to be stuff that can get you an R rating. But this has a PG rating. Yeah, which is weird. Yeah, it, it was kind of very weird. And this movie was so bad, they decided to do another one. See? Um, and they, they decided <laughs> to keep going. So in, in 1979, they came out with an R-rated movie, which I have not seen, called Undercover Lover. Um, but in the UK, it also had the names An Orchid for Number One and Licensed to Love and Kill. You gotta Obviously, love these plays against Bond. I mean, this yeah. is terrific stuff, right? Yeah. So the and director, maybe I'd like this better as an R-rated movie than the PG. I don't know. Yeah. The director here is Lindsay Shantef, and that's who you're talking about. He directed a few of these other movies, right? That you're talking yep. about. Yeah. And it, it and the stars of this movie, <laughs> 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 Nikki Henson is number one. Charles Bind. Yeah. B I N D. Okay. There. That, uh, come on, that's ridiculous. Richard Todd, who, who plays Arthur Lovejoy, he was terrific. Uh, Amy McDonald, Anna Hudson, Jeffrey Keene plays this guy, Rockwell, and so on. There's a bunch of different guys. And John Pertwee, who plays the Reverend Walter Braithwaite, he, he was actually pretty good. There were, a couple of these guys were tremendous, actually, in this movie. Some of them, okay. Maybe, Not so much. <laughs> maybe. Uh, it could have been better, but yeah. But anyway, uh, oh, you know, one other thing, Dan, is we 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 talked about the fact that for some reason in 1990 they decided to do another one, and it was called Number One Gun. Yeah. Well, okay. hey, look at that. Number one's and, in a lot of these uh, titles for this guy. Yeah. It's, it's, and their tagline was Number One Gun, and he's every bit as good as the high-priced agent. Hmm. I wonder <laughs> who that is. So, All right. You know, this guy is definitely set up to be a spoof to bond not harry palmer oh yeah definitely bind i, I mean bond <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah I, we have we have to do an episode on all the rest of these tom uh, no, thanks. <laughs> all right here's the plot this guy who preaches against the wealthy in speakers park in london stands on a box and talks out against it and how he will help save all the people listening turns out this guy's wealthy and has plans to eliminate other wealthy financiers from around the world because he doesn't like them. Hey, that's a good enough reason. This guy who's, you know, is, Dan, actually, before you go more on this guy, this scene here, cause I, I don't know speakers park. If it's, yeah, I don't know if it's, I don't real, know if it's but, real, it might um, be. but, but I, you know, here in the U S I'm not familiar with anything like a speakers park, Yeah. but when I saw him stand up there and start talking, it instantly brought me back to Monty Python. 
<laughs> where there's the okay. scene where the the guy's talking. I forget which one it is, but yeah. in one of the Monty Python movies, he's standing against the wall and he's talking, yeah. trying to get people to listen to him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's good. All right. So this guy, his name is Lovejoy, is played by Richard Todd, and he actually does a very good job of it. You really don't like the guy, and that's the whole point. So some good acting there. Our our main character. <laughs> Number one or no one. There is some good acting. I'll talk about that at the end. Yeah. Right. I will mention a few things I liked at the end. Okay. Our main character, number one, no one, of the Secret Service, is named Charles Bind, played by Nikki Henson. So, yes, Mr. Bind. So, that's how screwy this movie is, which makes it entertaining. Why Charles, I don't know, Charles Bind, been trying to figure that one out but this is the kind of movie that you could be trying to figure this out and they never intended it to mean anything because they just hey I'll make it charles probably didn't want to get too close and perhaps get in trouble with a james bind or something like that so who knows but yeah there there was a charles bind character in another spoof that has nothing to do with this <laughs> you're so probably happy in, about that <laughs> yeah in, in the 19 in 1965 the Carry On series of comedies, which were really funny, they had one called Carry On Spying. Its evil organization was called Stench, the <laughs> Society for the Total Extinction of Non-Conforming Humans. <laughs> I like that. And in that one, uh, an actor named Charles Hawtrey plays Charlie Bind. Hmm. So it's possible that Charles Bind here is a callback to Carry On Spying. Okay. Not sure, but it, it's possible there. Another you, callback. You, and you, you talked about Nicky Henson here yeah. in this role. Yeah. I thought he was terrible in this. <laughs> I mean, it, now, and oh. it's, it's kind of amazing to me because, he, you know, he's joined the Royal Shakespeare Company. He's really, uh, he, the guy can act. Yeah, yeah. You know, now it's possible this was an Oscar-worthy performance and he was supposed to be this lame because it was a, such a spoof. Well, I think that's but, the whole idea. But that's how good I he didn't was. think it was a good performance, but it, it might have been great because he was trying to make it look that that's way. That's how good he was. I mean, he was supposed to be this bumbling, not bumbling, but this kind of spoofy guy that you don't know you take seriously or not. And he has his own ways and his own ways of doing things, as we'll, we'll see. And kind of like James Bond, it's like Bond. You know, he had his own mindset up on how he was going to do things, whether he was going to be a rogue agent, you know, all that kind of stuff. This guy, mm, he's got his own ideas. Yeah, Dan, I looked up that Speaker's Park thing, yeah. and there was there was there is a Speaker's Corner, which I think is probably what they were alluding to. Yeah, when yeah. They called it Speaker's Park. Yeah, I think they call it in the movie Speaker's Park. But there you go. All right, so the movie opens up after its tell-all title sequence with Lovejoy <laughs> preaching in the Speaker's Park, as we mentioned. And we also see a bald-headed guy with a briefcase walking, and which, when this briefcase is opened, it reveals components of a sniper rifle. Did you recognize that guy? You know, no, I did not. So, but was, I thought he looked familiar. Yeah. So, and of course, Oliver I was Mc... focusing on the case, the, the yeah. briefcase with the rifle, because you know, from, from Russia <laughs> I'm looking with for love, anything I mean, to help me like this movie. Right? So. <laughs> from Russia with love, had one. Yeah, that, that guy was Oliver McGreevy, who we saw play House Martin in the 1965 movie, The Ipcris File. Oh, yeah. He so was terrific in this that. This movie does have some actors yeah, and yeah. actresses that have callbacks or call forwards to other spy movies, which is kind of nice to see. Yeah. Uh, I'll give it credit for that. There you go. 
yeah, he was great in that movie. In The Ipcris File, it was a great movie. All right, we have our first callback reference here from Russia with Love and the briefcase that Bond is issued with the AR-7, the Armalite AR-7 to be exact, rifle. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. And then he uses that rifle, as you recall, with Karen Bay to kill Kurilenko. But who is this ball-headed guy going to kill? Our Lovejoy guy? They make it look like he's going to nail Lovejoy. Yeah, that's what I thought too. And I thought, wow, that's going to be a short little scene. But this cowboy type guy is walking down the street and bam, he falls over dead. Shot from a silenced sniper rifle that this bald-headed man has used. So so you're talking about this sniper rifle thing? Yeah. I don't know if you just saw this. It was just in the news that some sniper took out a guy a mile, 1.7 miles Oh away God. second longest sniper shot recorded wow so this wasn't that far but no man, no that's that's a long sniper shot yeah we don't know who the speaker is and who the guy is at all at this point but when you see him walking down the street after he's finished speaking he gets into some chauffeur's limo and the the chauffeur's putting his stuff in the trunk his little box that he was standing on and his sign and so on so this is kind of important to the movie because now you know that hey this guy's a, a fraud basically in terms of his little speaker park stuff his shtick so we're now suspicious you mean the fact that he's railing against wealthy people yeah. and he gets into a chauffeur driven car yeah yeah <laughs> and, but in a sense he he he's railing against wealthy people because he wants to kill the other wealthy financiers of the world so yeah i mean he makes a comment that i don't like wealthy people myself accepted yeah right <laughs> <laughs> myself so we're now suspicious of this guy and does he have a plot a main plot like a, a james bond villain i don't know all right we see another guy get killed at, in front of this other hotel very well-dressed gentleman and so on so we see this sniper is active. We don't know who he works for and so on. And we don't know who this Lovejoy guy is yet. And we're trying to figure this all out. So, hey, come on. This is like a spy movie already, right? Ah. It deviates quickly. <laughs> yeah. Now he switched this thing and our, our speaker, this, love, this wealthy Lovejoy guy, is now at this secret camp with guys dressed in camouflage walking around. I, I like this scene because it's ridiculous again. And it's a secret camp. But Lovejoy points out to the leader that he found them. So why can't the police? I mean, how secret is this camp? He found them. So yeah, now this actually is probably my favorite scene in the movie. Oh, look at that. Tom's I, got I, one. I, I didn't say it's a great scene, Dan. I said it's probably <laughs> my favorite scene in the movie because it does have a couple things in it that did make me laugh. Okay. So th this is good because he, he, he mentions it a few times. It's like, I found you. How difficult is it for the... The, the police to find you another way. And this kind of sets us up for how ridiculous this thing is. And of course, this guy who is, who's the head of this camp says that our organization is known to its friends as crash. K R A S H. We got What's it. What's that mean? Killing, raping, arson, slaughter, and hits. <laughs> okay. We have our second bond reverence smacking us in the face, rivaling specter, of course, First mentioned in Dr. No. So there or you go. Or stench from Carrie on Spine. Crash. Boom. Uh, you got to love it. The leader explains that all our men are experts at unarmed combat. And we watch a guy with a patch over one eye fight and kill another man. Hmm. A bad guy with a patch over his eye. Ah. Uh, Thunderball. And Largo. Our third. 
James Bond reference. Look at that. We got that already. Three James Bond references. You got to love okay, it. Okay, well, let's kind of take a little twist on that okay. and talk about who played that. All right. This is another callback to you know, This is another actor that we've seen in Bond movies. Yeah, okay. That's uh, Milton Reed, uh, who had an uncredited role as a henchman in Dr. No. He's okay. a henchman here. An uncredited role in the 1967 Casino Royale. He was a guard there. Okay. And in 1977, that's when this movie came out, isn't it? Yep. He also played Sandor in The Spy Who Loved Me. Ah, see, that's a big, that was a biggie. Sandor in The Spy Who Loved Me. That's a good one. See, more so Bond connections. More Bond connections. So we're, we're going to go beyond 17 Bond connections here. I mean, look at that. That's terrific. So this is an amusing scene with a guy standing there smoking a cigar with shaving cream all over his face. And another stands 10 yards away or so with a pistol. All right. You'll see what happens there when you watch this movie, because you will watch this movie. It's just so much fun. Oh, we don't want to give it away, Dan. <laughs> no, we don't want to give anything away here. Uh, I can't think of a Bond reference here, though, so that will leave this one up to you to figure it out. But it is yeah. a clever scene. Yeah, and I, right. I will admit that this bit with both the cigar and what they do with the cigar... And the way he uses bullets for shaving, and we'll leave it at that. Yeah. Uh, I thought th that was clever. Yeah, that was clever. All right, now Crash, and mind you, this is 1977. Just to keep abreast of the times, we're developing a new woman's section. <laughs> yeah, okay, all right. You can't let that one go, right? I mean, they had to say that. And we see two women with their chests flopping out doing a push-ups. Okay. This is more Monty Python-ish than Bond-ish, I think. I yeah, see, I kind of thought it was more Benny Hill than Monty Python. But oh, Benny uh, Hill. Yeah, no, that's better. That's better. I'll go with that. Yeah, Benny Hill. I'm going to agree with you on that. Your analysis of the movie uh, here, Tom, on that part. I, I'm, I'll go with Benny Hill. <laughs> I got that's, one. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Right. Lovejoy is there. He's going to pay Crash $5 million to eliminate anyone who troubles him. Well, you know, it's kind of nice. This guy's got that kind of money. And he'll pay $5 million a year, he says. So, sure, Crash has terrorists and assassins all over the world. So, they're, yeah, they're, they're going to go with this. So, For that's the setup. $5 million. Dollars. Yeah. So, that's the setup, right? We've seen two people assassinated already, and Lovejoy wants to hire Crash to do some dirty work. But wait, who's the bald headed guy working for? And I didn't know why. I didn't know what was going on there. But, I mean, we see him. He's obviously a big part of the movie, and we don't know who he's working for yet. All right. Well, but you see that in other movies too, where it's like, who is that guy? And you're trying to figure out is he on the side of good or evil or whatever. Yeah, that's true. You're not sure. and, and here again, we don't know. Uh, so they're, they're setting us up with us wondering like they do a lot in the James Bond pre-title sequences, wondering what's going to happen next. Aren't you just like, Whoa, Tom, what's going to happen next now? No, <laughs> <laughs> I really don't care what happens next. All right. Now we get to see the real James Bond knockoffs and spoofs. Yes, it's Secret Service headquarters, and we are brought into it by our number one agent, Charles Bind, driving a sporty British convertible with a blonde next to him. He gets out, turning to the woman, saying, Won't be long. Keep it warm till I get back. Okay, all right, all right. These tawdry one-liners are flowing. So definitely a Bond callback or spoof. So this is our fourth callback to Bond, the one-liners, and how ridiculous some of them are. Now, <laughs> one of the things is he pulls up. I'm looking at this license plate. Yeah. And it says HRO1. Yeah, I saw that too. So what is it? So that? were they saying Hero 1? 
Okay. Could also be high risk operation. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I assumed it meant hero, but I wasn't really sure. Um, yeah, it could have just sure been either. a coincidence, but I was trying to figure probably out not was, with this thing. I was trying to figure out if there was some meaning to that too, but we, at least we got a one in there, which is nice because he is number one or no one. <laughs> All right. He enters into the outer office of the Secret Service headquarters where there's a money penny type woman there. So another James Bond spoof or homage and our fifth reference to Bond. Now, one thing they did here differently than the way the Bond movies did it when, you know, when Sean Connery would walk in and he'd throw his hat on the coat rack. Yeah, yeah. We didn't get that here. No. Instead, he just walks up and I'll just say gets familiar with the woman's backside. Um, yeah. And, there, and there's some quippy dialogue between the two, but a little more overt than what Bond did. Yeah, oh, very, yeah, it was, it was overt. And uh, again, you know, they warned us. I still don't know how this thing got a PG rating. I don't either because there's some stuff in it that you think, hmm, yeah. All right, the inner office is the sanctum of this M-type boss. And to me, he looks a lot like Robert Brown and our James Bond M from Octopussy through License to Kill. So this is really absolutely a smack-in-the-face M character and our sixth callback really. Yeah, it's, to Bond it's an M type character, but why he's looking familiar, he should. Yes. Because right. that was Jeffrey Keene yeah. who played the Minister of Defense in the Bond movies, The Spy, the Spy. Who Loved Me, yeah. Moonraker, For Your Eyes Only, Octopussy, A View to a Kill, and The Living Daylights. There you go. And More. he plays the M type role well, he but did. it's yet another actor call out that I, you know, Jeffrey, I have to appreciate. Jeffrey Keene was terrific here as the M-like character, and look at that. More callbacks to all the movies he was in in the Bond movies. Ha! Ah, that's terrific. All right, this M-type character tells Bond these high-rolling financiers are getting killed, and they have all helped Britain here, so Bond must get to the bottom of this and stop it. So that's... Well, he tried to do that with the Miss Moneypenny character. <laughs> yeah, that's his, that's his mission, right? He's trying to get to the bottom of it. He got to the bottom of her character <laughs> oh boy ah as bind is leaving the office another and our seventh bond callback comes out this one is to dr no when m and the armorer swap bonds beretta out for the walter ppk we all remember that but here the m character says hang on a minute bind take off your coat one get it off sound like the m character dr no and yeah no small Beretta here, but two large pistols, one above each hip in a holster. <laughs> it's like it's big. carrying them very inconspicuously. <laughs> yes, right. The M character says that Bind now will use a thirty-eight caliber instead of the two three fifty-seven Magnums. And as Bind catches the thirty-eight, as M type guy throws it to him, he says to the M type character, "All right, get ready for this now." <laughs> Yes, well, 38's all very well in ladies' handbags, huh? Uh, Where have we heard that one before? (laughs) Saying that about the 38. I mean, come on. All right. Uh, That's our eighth callback. Right out of Dr. No. When the armor, of course, says that. The Bond about his Beretta. So, ah, Yeah, and I I think that line was a callback to the Bond stuff, but the Magnums, I think, were a callback to Dirty Harry, which was the 1971 movie with Clint Eastwood. Yeah, it kind of reminded me, really, of... uh, Bond's pistol, uh, Roger Moore, played by Roger Moore, in his first Live and Let Die 
Bond movie uh, when he was on the island nation of San Monique and he had that big old pistol, remember? Oh, yeah, that, yeah that's Kind of reminded me of that, too. All right, so Lovejoy, we see Lovejoy again in the speaker's park and whatever, and he's doing more stuff, and he gets back into his car, et cetera. But this time, Bond has an, an accomplice with him assigned by the M-type character to help him. So she tracks him, and it's a woman, and she tracks uh, this, this Lovejoy guy back to the car. He gets the license plate number and everything else so they could go go figure out who this guy is. So there's tons of gags in this movie, and many are very predictable gags yet. Like, you know, Bind is preparing a drink for Hudson, and he has a, a seltzer water a bottle or seltzer bottle or whatever they call them. What they call it's them? actually called a soda siphon. Okay, a soda siphon, you know, and it squirts oops all over her white blouse and oops on her breasts until we can all see right through it to the essentials. <laughs> And what are the essentials? <laughs> Not quite sure I understand what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. All right. You can see nipples through the white blouse. All right. There you go. This will be repeated, of course, because bad gags are repeated. And that's what makes them funny. If you do it once, it's not that funny. You do it three or four times. Now it's ridiculous. Yeah, right? so I think they... They use that way too many times in this movie. <laughs> Although they do give a kind of a wink and a nod that they're taking it over the top. Yeah, that's what I mean. And it, there was another movie that came out in 77 called The Deep with Jacqueline Bissett. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and she had that white T-shirt that kind of gave us a tease because she had to get wet. Yeah. And around that time, I don't remember if I was seeing an interview of, of a director or something talking about that movie somebody said, if you can't get her naked, get her wet. <laughs> it definitely seems like both the deep and number one of the secret service. Helped uh, that's good. All right. So bind squirted her blouse and so on. Oops. Oh, well now she's got to change. And all that's available is this little tank top type blouse that for some reason bind has in his place. Didn't you and- say it was his sister's or something? <laughs> Maybe I think that's even weirder and her underwear and that's it. All right. So we get to see that, but wait, (laughs) they're both in trouble. A goon gets in and gets into his place and has a gun and takes Bind's gun and he starts to shoot them. So that's it, right? We're going to, boom, he's going to be dead. No, 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 no. Okay. All right. The female agent here, who's Bind's partner prepares for the worst when she sees this guy with the guns by holding her ears. Yeah, she doesn't duck. She doesn't know. She just sticks her fingers in her ears. <laughs> that in itself is funny because she either knows what's going to happen or it's. it reminds me of uh, North by Northwest when the kid in the uh, restaurant is holding <laughs> yeah. his ears when the gun's going to go off, right? Remember yeah. that? <laughs> yeah. They didn't plan for that in the movie, but it's in the movie. The kid yep. just happened to do it because yeah. it was like the fourth take or something. Yeah. Yeah, so Bind is calm, though, here. And, yeah, there's an invisible wall that appears and blocks the bullets, and they ricochet and kill the goon. So, yeah, it's a it's a gadget that Q would have been proud of, I think. Anytime a gun is pointed at Bind in his place, this wall, <laughs> this wall appears. <sighs> I think this might count as the ninth reference to a Bond-type thing. Okay, Dan, there were a lot of stupid things in this movie. Yes, yes. And I think at the top of that list is this invisible wall. (laughs) I mean, it it was almost like 
they wanted the, a bad guy to confront Bind, but they didn't know where to take it. So they came up with this bit, which was really lame, in my opinion. It, it is lame, which makes it so good because that, that pushes it down <laughs> to the bottom of the pile of stuff. And again, that's where this movie belongs. <laughs> but you want people to watch it. Yeah, no, I do. For some reason, it actually kind of reminded me of the Cone of Silence from the Get Smart TV series, you know. But that was that was to contain their sound and conversation. But it probably was bulletproof, I would imagine. But it's a similar concept. So Bind finally meets this Lovejoy at Lovejoy's beautiful home. And Lovejoy admits he's behind the killings and has more planned because he doesn't like Richmond, as he said before. So uh, this, you know, I thought it was, it was, it was a nice house. There's a piano there, I think, too, right? So yeah, yeah. So I mean, this isn't the traditional Blofeld type lair. It's more like no. Palmyra and Thunderball or uh, Drax's estate in Moonraker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or have... maybe even Goldfinger Stud Farm in in Goldfinger. I, I think of all of those you mentioned. I think uh, yeah, Drax's Drax's estate in New Moonraker. Yeah, it, it kind of has a a look of that. Yeah, I'm just saying more of a, a, a nice house done up well mm -hmm. as opposed to the Blofeld-type layers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we, we know this Lovejoy is out to get Bind because Bind is in his way, and he doesn't like when people are in his way. Remember, he was going to hire Crash to get rid of people who are in his way. So on the way out, Bind meets this woman, hmm. and her name is Stormy Weather. Don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> There's no stars up in the sky. <laughs> ah, the woman attacks Bind, and starts to fight him. Of course, it really is a man dressed as a woman. Hello, pre-title sequence of Thunderball and Jacques Bouvard fighting Bond at the mansion. Oh, we have a podcast episode on that Thunderball pre-title, so take a listen to that one. It's a fun one. And our 10th Bond callback. You now, I'm going to call no on this one. Huh? Right. Because I don't count this as a callback to Thunderball. Oh my God! How could you not? Because in Thunderball, Bouvard was a was dressed as a woman as a disguise. Yeah. Right here, Stormy wasn't a man dressed as a woman. Stormy is a man transitioning to a woman. They, they were. So they, it was a little confusing. They, no, they actually say that that he's transitioning. And so, if this is a callback to anything, ah. to me, it's a callback to the 1970 movie, Myra Breckenridge. In fact, some of the camera shots were very similar okay. to shots in Myra Breckenridge. So I think the Stormy Weather character was kind of a wink and a nod to Myra, not to Thunderball. All right. All right. All right. We'll, we can go with I mean, that. I don't know if you've ever seen Myra Breckenridge. That's I another like one you probably don't need to spend time on. <laughs> the book is better than the movie. All right. So Bond's got to track what the heck this Lovejoy guy is going to be doing. And he gets permission to go on this cruise that Lovejoy will be on. So that's going to be good, right? Bind runs into Lovejoy on the ship, of course, in a salon as Lovejoy sits and has his two female assistants with him. And what are they playing with? They're playing with tarot cards. <laughs> mm. uh, our 11th reference to Bond this time. Live and let die in solitaire. And these cards that they show are Le Diable and L'Emperor. The Devil and the Emperor. That shows us how evil and powerful this guy Lovejoy is. That, you got to think, hey, come, come on, that was clever. They set us up for that. They show us his powers in these tarot cards. That's pretty good. And another callback. Yeah, I just like the twins. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
All right, Bynes' partner is with him. Her name is Hudson, his partner, his M-type boss's assignment to him. And in their cabin, we see the soda siphon again. White blouse, uh, nipple showing, the whole thing again. The changing, uh, she has to change again. What is this, Groundhog Day? I mean, Bynes is just an animal, I tell you. He's just, this is just a bit that shouldn't be repeated. I think that's I'm giving you the fun. first one for the slapstick effect. But repeating to this to me is just lazy. Ah, well, that's what makes it so funny, I think. Again, it's so ridiculous when they repeat it. But others are trying to kill Bind aboard the ship, too. Because, you know, everybody's trying to kill Bind. He's in Lovejoy's way. Bind is very good, though. It is two 357 Magnums. Yeah, yeah, he kept them. Just like Bond tried to keep his Beretta, although M caught him and said, hey, put the Beretta on my desk. This guy, he kept his two 357 Magnums. <sighs> and now, the third seltzer bit, soda siphon bit. Yeah, it happens the third yet? time. <laughs> and the cruise is finished, and Lovejoy's heading to a health farm. Oh, a health farm. Lovejoy heading to a health farm. Hmm. Uh, yeah, Shrublins and Thunderball. Another call out. Number 12. All right. Now, keep in mind that during these shootouts, Bind uses both his revolvers, which look like they hold about six shots apiece, I think. They look like regular revolvers. But I think somehow he gets like 20, 25 shots out of them. It happens just about every spy movie. So we're going to let him slide on that one. Anyway. Yeah, why why reload? <laughs> just pull the trigger. Doesn't matter. Pull the trigger. We'll, we'll go with it. All right. So on the ground again, number one is always being attacked. This time from beneath the front of his car, he, he pulls out this military-type, almost anti-aircraft-type-looking gun. It kind of emerges out of the front of the car. A gun gadget in the front of his car. <laughs> okay. All right. Goldfinger finally gets a call back. I was wondering, when are they going to get Goldfinger in here? Number 13, Goldfinger, this machine-type gun in the front of the car. Yeah. Yeah, nothing packed the wall up. It did. It did. He's killed like 36 people already. The crash goons are all interspersed in this ridiculous story. You don't really know exactly what they're doing and so on. But he's killing people left and right here, Bind. So Well, Lovejoy has to kind of like that because if he was if uh, he was going to pay $5 million a person. Yeah. Now let's let's get him away. Get him gone so I don't have to pay him. Well, I don't know if it's $5 million. $5 million a year he's going to pay them. Yeah, yeah, but I thought to the to the person. No, no, I I don't I don't think so. Oh, it's just for the assignment. Yeah, yeah, I think for the assignment in 1977, that was pretty good money. All right, that's very good money. Bind meets up with. I take it now. I'm five million a year. Yeah. All right. Now we see Bind meeting up with Lovejoy in this large field on his estate, shooting arrows at a bullseye target. Now, even though this movie is from 1977, man, it reminds me of Drax in Moonraker, 1979, shooting in his field. Remember that? Well, maybe it influenced Maybe it influenced Moonraker. It may have, or they may have been filming it. I don't know, maybe, probably not simultaneously because it probably would have been filming Moonraker in 78. And so, yeah, but it's, it's boy, it, did it remind me of that. It also reminded me of Thunderball when Largo has the rifles and their skeet shooting and, and, and then Bond shoots also. Because here, Bond's going to take the bow and arrow and shoot as well. Well, is that is that scene, are those two scenes in the books? Because, I mean, if 
the scene was in Moon. I, I mean, I've read Moonraker, but it's been a while. I can't remember if that if that. I don't remember if that's in that in in the book. I read Moonraker, which one of the best reads, really. Of, yeah, it really was a good read. Yeah, it really I, was. I don't, uh, I don't but remember I, if that was in it. Yeah, I don't remember either. Bind again shoots, takes the bow and arrow and shoots here again. Like I said, it's more of a callback to Largo, I think, in Bond skeet shooting at Palmyra uh, than it is to Moonraker. But anyway, that's our fourteenth callback here thunderball again thunderball is getting a lot of play here because bind has evaded death at the hands of lovejoy's henchmen so many times Man, much like bond in bond movies evades death sometimes by luck sometimes by skill lovejoy tries to recruit bind into his organization oh my god has that ever happened in a bond movie <laughs> It's got to be a Dr. No reference when Dr. No thought that perhaps Bond could be part of Spectre and said, no, he was just a stupid policeman. Number 15, our reference back to Bond. Wow. And now for something completely different, to quote the Monty Python guys. Ah, uh, no. It's time for Seltzer bit number four. <laughs> the siphon, uh, siphon water bit. Yeah, four times <laughs> they worked it into the movie, which uh. is ridiculous, which makes it funny. All right. I mean, and, and when I say this, I mean, I mean, no disrespect to the actress who played Hudson, Amy McDonald, right? <laughs> she she was fine with that, but you know, a little much over the top. Which again, okay. So there's an interesting interplay here when Bind goes to see the Brothers of Light. Yeah, and these somehow these people are connected to Lovejoy. There's a woman secretary that Bind must first see. And she's Sister Jane, according to her nameplate. Yeah, okay. Bind, posing as Mr. Forbes, asked to see the brother. Yeah. But in the meantime, he says he has a problem with women, and he wants to touch them and more. <laughs> so she starts taking her clothes off. <laughs> and uh-huh. in, in the heat of the moment, uh, the brother calls her on the phone and asks, Sister Jane, I'm, I'm expecting a Mr. Forbes. Has he come yet? Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, they they never seem to miss a setup like this in a Bond movie, and uh, they don't do it here either. And she does respond appropriately. Yeah. All right. You'll see that. when you watch the movie, you'll see her response. <laughs> yeah. Now hear, this is another actor who we've seen not in a Bond movie, but that was Sue Lloyd who played Jean Courtney in the Ipcris fight. Yeah, she was terrific. So another, fun, another spy movie yeah. reference from an act, actor's perspective. Yeah. So there's and then a, as you mentioned earlier, John Pertwee's portrayal of the Reverend Braithwaite is just really well done. It's <laughs> yeah, a small little bit. He's good. But he even has a callback to On Her Majesty's Secret Service here, Dan. Okay. He's looking at a girly magazine. Oh. And I, I'm not sure which one it was, but it did remind me of when James Bond is in Gumbold's office in oh, Her yeah, Majesty's yeah. Secret Service looking at the gatefold. Yeah, yeah, of uh, course, Bond's not trying to hide fold. it. This guy's trying to hide it that he, he didn't want to be caught seeing well, it. Well, because he Bond. was the brother. Yeah, because he's the brother. Bond didn't, James Bond, didn't, he didn't give a damn. He was walking yeah. out looking at it. <laughs> but like it just, as soon as, as soon as you see him looking at the girly magazine, it brings me back to Bond in Gumbold's office. Uh, all right, Bond does get caught, though, just like Bond gets caught sometimes. And he's in a car with the goons, which reminded me uh, of Honor Majesty's Secret Service when Bond gets uh, uh, captured and brought into the convertible by Draco's guys. 
And we're not going to count that because it's not a strong enough reference, but still reminding me of that. You, you mentioned the brother at the Brothers of Light that Lovejoy somehow was connected to. So Bind gets information from the brother that Lovejoy actually came to them early on when he was poor and stayed at a building on number 13. Well, Bind goes there to ask about Lovejoy and blah, 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 blah. And he meets this guy, Mr. Sims there, who's the bald-headed assassin that we saw at the beginning. Oh boy, he's back now, tied back into the story. Bind notices that this guy's wearing a symbol on a chain in a similar way that, that symbols were worn in Thunderball. Again, another reference to a the Thunderball. The rings? Huh? The Spectre rings? The Spectre rings and the symbol that the guy had on his arm at the at Shrublins yeah. and so on. And overall, this is our 16th callback. Bam. So we see Bind back at his hotel. And much like James Bond picking up women, he picks up a woman from the bar while his partner goes off on her own. He ends up in bed with this woman, and yes, he has his two guns with him, one in each hand as they sleep. We always heard Bond sleeps with a gun under his pillow. Here we got the three fifty-seven Magnums, one in each hand with this guy. All right, and he's in bed with this woman, and she starts stroking the barrel of one of them and brings it towards her mouth. Okay, it's a cheesy gag, but there it is. Yeah, I'm not gag. sure what that means, Dan. It's not, I've seen something similar in some of the pre-titles or in some of the title sequences in the Bond movies. Yeah, yeah, there you go. So maybe we should count this as another one. Wow. Anyway, she is evil, though, this woman. So don't think she's on his side. She steps onto the balcony and a gun is lowered down to her, which is ridiculous, on a rope kind of thing. And he and, and she is about to kill Bind. Oh, no. He's going to be dead. We know. But we hear a shot, and somehow Bind survives. We'll, we'll tell you all the details there. Lovejoy is at the same hotel. He sees Sometimes Bond. the spy needs to have a little help. Yeah, yeah. Bond, James Bond, needed help virtually every time. In some movies, he, he got nothing done, really. <laughs> That's right. When you think about it. All right. So Lovejoy sees Bind the next day, and he's like, man, he's surprised he's still alive because he should have been dead by now. Again, should have been dead. And he's with his two tarot card women, uh, Lovejoy is, one of whom is wearing the same symbol ooh, as Mr. Sims, the assassin. Ha ha, another connection there. So there's a scene in the park where Bind is waiting to see someone because he was told to meet somebody there, and Hudson got captured, and he, she got knifed in a car. We think she's dead because she looked like she was dead. Bind escapes another attempt at killing him by the assassin. How? He does. Anyway, we're not going to tell you exactly how. And then the final showdown, which yeah, I... we so much want to see. We so much want you to see this movie. Yeah, you got to love Just because it's ridiculous. All right. The final showdown is in Lovejoy's hotel suite. We're not going to go into the details there, but Bind is Bind. And Hudson, well... Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. So Dan, l yeah. let's, we're at the end here of the movie. Yeah. And I know I've complained a lot about the movie because I really didn't like it, but there were a few things that I thought worked. Okay. Um, I said them earlier, the music I thought worked. You didn't like the music. Yeah. I like Richard Todd's portrayal of Lovejoy. Yeah. I thought was really good. I agree. Pertwee's, 
performance, Jeffrey Keen's performance. I mean, all of those characters were acted very well. Yes. And I thought the cinematography was fine too. I and did too. It, I did too. That's about it though. Right. It's a <laughs> Notice sin- I didn't talk about the story. This <laughs> <laughs> yeah. is too ridiculous for me. All right. It's a silly, ridiculous spy movie with lots of gags, lots of Bond callbacks, slapstick, almost vaudeville humor. And somehow, to me, it's entertaining. All right. It's only an hour and 27 minutes, so it's not going to kill a lot of your time. Check it out if you dare. Number one of the Secret Service was on Amazon Prime at the time of this recording. So if, if you have Prime, you you can you, you have the luxury of being able to go watch that. All right, we're going to switch gears here before well, wait, we before, end. Before you do that, let's kind of recap a, for a quick second. Now, I you kind of think this is almost a guilty pleasure. I don't think it's worth spending 10 minutes of your time watching it, let alone the hour and a half it runs. <laughs> But given that Dan and I disagree on this one, watch it and let us know. Drop us an email at info at Spy Movie Navigator and yeah. let us know what your thoughts were of watching this movie. Yeah, let us know. That'd be good. All right, we're going to switch gears a little bit here before we end with the, the tip, tip of, of the, the day. day. We know that many spy movie fans are also fans of Sherlock Holmes. We have an episode out that has been very popular called James Bond is the Spies, What Sherlock Holmes is to Detectives. I have found a great TV series from 1954 simply called Sherlock Holmes. And we know we have had some actors in the spy movie arena also play Sherlock Holmes, like Christopher Lee in 1962 in Sherlock Holmes and the Deadly Necklace, Roger Moore in 1972 played Holmes in Sherlock Holmes in New York, he did that movie in between The Man with the Golden Gun and The Spy Who Loved Me. And then Michael Caine, of course, of Harry Palmer fame in the spy movies in 1988 in Without a Clue. And even Jonathan Price in 2008 in Sherlock Holmes and the Baker Street Irregulars. So this 1954 series was on for one year, has 39 half-hour episodes, and stars Ronald Howard as Sherlock Holmes. Wait, wait, Ronald Howard? Yeah, not Ron Howard, <laughs> who oh, played Opie okay. in, in, okay. in the uh, Andy Griffith show and is a great director now, but Ronald Howard. And also H. Marion Crawford, who plays Dr. John H. Watson. This is a fabulous series. And Ronald Howard, out of 100 people who have played Sherlock Holmes, was voted number eight. He and Crawford are fabulous and have a symbiotic relationship here as Watson's help is often sought by Holmes and Watson helps in many, many ways. Not, he's not just some foil for Holmes, not at all. So this is terrific. You will enjoy it. And as Dan, of where this can they record, find it? Where can they find it? Yeah, you can find it as of this recording. It was on Tubi for free with commercials, of course. So there's a fun tip for the day. Check it out. It's fun. All right. This has been Dan and Tom from spymovienavigator.com and our show, cracking the code of spy movies subscribe to our show and our youtube channel and yeah we're all over social media too thanks for listening we appreciate it